We are wrapping up this series on margin, and uh, I want to I want to get very serious and very practical with you today, and kind of try and, and string everything together. and And I'm hoping that that you're going to be challenged in an appropriate way. Um, uh, I think that because of the the nature of this topic, it's easy to misunderstand. And I think some people might feel like because we're talking about margin, it's mostly just focused on hey, just just relax, breathe, chill out, meditate. Um, and, and that's not really it. Uh, margin is not an excuse for mediocrity. Margin is actually uh, there to help us focus on what matters most. And so what I want to do as we wrap up today is take a look at how we, how we transition from hope to habits, how we transition from uh, you know, intentions to actions so that we can actually make changes and, and commit to, to practices, to patterns, to principles that are going to actually produce the fruit in our lives that I think God wants and that I think deep down we're actually aching for. Whether we realize it consciously or not, I think many of us are going through our days aching for something deeper, for something more meaningful. We're aching for more life in our lives for, for more hope and, and patience and kindness and gentleness in some of our relationships. I think some of us are hoping for more meaning and purpose and significance in our careers or at school. Um, you know, maybe you're a teenager and you're thinking like, do I, am I just hibernating until I finally finish school and maybe get a tertiary you know, education and then maybe I can do something? And, and so there's this, this aching, this craving where, where there's something in us that senses that there should be more. And I believe that that's from God and and so we've been looking at a couple of different principles, which I'm not going to recap for you. It's online. You can download them all for free. I want to simply wrap it up today and show us how to close the gap between intentions and actions. If you were here a few weeks ago, you would have heard me uh, report that the global knowledge, so, so human intellect, information in our world today doubles every 12 hours. 500 hours of videos uploaded to YouTube alone Every minute, every 60 seconds. By the time you leave church this morning, if we keep it to an hour, 30,000 hours worth of video would be uploaded. So, so, so the amount of information that we're being bombarded with has caused what some have observed and, and speculated to actually allow people to get into a state where we are used to receiving information and in some cases even being moved by information. So there's an emotional stirring, but ultimately doing nothing with it. And I desperately want something for you. In this series, I'm not, I'm not asking anything from you. I'm asking you to get on board with doing something that's going to help actually offer something for you. And so that's why my hope and my prayer, this, not just for this series, but for this year, is that you would actually commit to forming the habits that are going to form you. There's a place for hope. And there's even a place for hype in the sense you know, of inspiration, but habits are going to change your life, not just willpower alone. Habits. Habits. First, we make our choices, then our choices make us. And so I want to take a look at a couple of principles and, and kind of the, so we've tried to stick with S's for this series. Thanks, Moffat. He challenged me to make sure that we end off with an S. We've looked at things like simplicity and slowing and solitude and surrender and Sabbath, uh, etc. And so today I want to talk to you about structure, how we actually structure our lives for the health and the fruit that God wants us to bear. And, and 
I'm going to be explaining to you what you can see underneath the title there, which is something called the rule of life. And, and that's why we're calling a structure, because really that's what a rule of life is. But if you go back to some ancient literature, and more and more books are being written at the moment about helping form habits, but they, they're explaining this idea of actually creating a rule of life. And I'll explain a little bit more about where that term comes from in a moment. But simply this. We've got a definition. It's on you version as well. That a rule of life is a structure for doing life that helps us experience the abundant life of God. So that's, that's what we're trying to pursue. We're trying to pursue a structure for doing life, so a way, an approach. Remember, remember we're following the way. We're not, just, we're not just agreeing with the truth. We're trying to actually follow a way. Jesus is not just the truth. He is the way, and that leads to life. A rule of life is a schedule, practices, and relational rhythms that help us create space in our busy world to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus would do if he were me. Now, Jesus wasn't a mother, a single mother of three young kids, so, so we don't know for sure what he would be doing, but you try and imagine what would Jesus do if he were a single mother of three kids? What if he were a father, a husband? I, I can imagine that Jesus would prioritize spending a lot of time with his spouse and with his kids. Or if he had a job, I imagine that Jesus would approach it with a certain level of integrity, a certain level, level of diligence. I don't think he would just see it as something to tick a box. I think he would see that God has placed him in an, in an environment where he's there to be salt and light, where he's there to, to engage with people, to be a blessing, to build up credibility, um, and to be interruptible, to be available for when opportunities arise to you know, share life. So it's a scheduled practices and relational rhythms that help us create space in our busy world to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus would do if he were me. 1 John 2 verse 6 says that those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Like this just makes sense, right? In other words, if I want to, and I think we'll have that up on the screen in a moment, 1 John 2 verse 6, and it is on you version as well. If, if we're wanting to experience the fruit of Jesus, then I think we need to follow the, the model, the, the lifestyle of Jesus in, in its entirety. And I've got to tell you that, that if someone was telling this, you know, if someone was trying to explain this to me as a teenager or as a very young adult, I would probably be agreeing theoretically, but subconsciously I'd be thinking like, yeah, whatever. Like that sounds way too way too spiritual, like I'm not going to go live in a cave or, or go, you know, wander around the wilderness. Um, by the way, neither did Jesus. I mean, he was in the wilderness for 40 days, but actually he did life. He engaged. He worked. Um, he would have been trained up most likely as, as a carpenter. He only started actually, according to our judgments, probably bearing fruit at the age of 30. But, but, but he, was, he was living in the meantime. I actually think Jesus would have had a good sense of humor. Anyway, listen, there's so much that I don't have the time to get into. If you, if you read the four Gospels, you regularly get a sense that Jesus was just never quite in a rush. But he was very present. He, he made a difference. Well, 2,000 years later, people are still worshiping him and trusting in him. But, but he was never in a hurry. Like, you don't get the impression that Jesus would, like, lose his mind at Mary for dropping the hummus, like, like sighing, you know, rolling his eyes. Do you, do you have to be so clumsy? You know, sighing deeply saying, like, just give me a glass of wine. You know, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that you would see Jesus um, 
like living this unhealthily stressed life. There's stress, there's, make, no, make no mistake, he was pressured and, and stress would have been applied to him. But remember, if we're going back to the beginning of the series when we, when we had the illustration of the balloons, there was enough margin in his being that he could cope with the pressures. He, there was enough flexibility as opposed to being so maxed out that, that he would pop. But again, if you continue to read the stories, he was so intentional about regularly drawing aside and being refreshed by his father. I think he spent a lot of time in community with those closest to him. I think Jesus would have, would have enjoyed eating. Now, gluten wasn't a problem back then, neither was sugar, etc. But I think they bribed a lot. They had a lot of fish. I think, I mean, they enjoyed meals. I think that they would have joked around and probably ripped Peter off for, you know, sinking in, you know, and, and, and for putting his foot in his mouth. I, like, Jesus, like, if you try and imagine the kind of life that Jesus would be living. And so he invites us to find our home in him and to follow his model. In John chapter 15, verse 1 to 4 and verse 8, he says, I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they'll produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. And then verse four goes on to say, remain in me or some of the older versions or maybe the new international version would use the term abide, abide in me, remain in me. Abide means abode, which means home. So make your home in me and I will make my home in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. And the reason I want to include verse 8 is so that we don't think that this is just about living a self-centered life. Verse 8 says, when you produce much fruit, not only are you my true disciples, but this brings great glory to my Father. By the way, just to add some weight to these words, these were some of the last recorded words of Jesus on his last night before he was, he knew he was about to be arrested, falsely accused and tried and murdered. I don't know about you, I would be choosing my words very carefully. If I know I only have maybe a few minutes or a few hours left with those that I'm going to entrust the rest of the world to. And you know, one of them is already screwing up. So like there's only 11 left. So, so, so he's pretty picky. And again, he uses this analogy of, 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 agriculture, in this case of a, of a vineyard. And now it's interesting to note, by the way, that, that for, in order for grapes to flourish, it is absolutely dependent on a structure. Grapes don't get left, so, 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 so uh, 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 yeah, a grape harvest doesn't get left to just grow and spread on the ground. It gets lifted up off of the ground to, to avoid insects and, and other predators and, and, and in some cases even diseases. It, so, so it has the potential for life in it, but if it's not put onto a structure, what is mostly known as a trellis, it's not going to grow up. And what a trellis is, by the way, trellis is actually what the word rule means. So, so, so the original uh, Latin word, used for, for, uh, for trellis is where we get the word rule from, like a ruler, like a piece of wood. So it, it creates this structure for the vegetation to grow against. And so what a trellis is to a grapevine, so a rule of life, a structure is to your spiritual vitality. And I do think 
that too often we just leave it to chance. And in some cases, I think we might misunderstand. I don't think we do this intentionally, but I think we might misunderstand and in some cases even abuse the grace of God. Well, God loves me. God's gracious, so I don't have to do anything. And, and that's misunderstanding grace. He gives us the grace too. He gives us the, he gives us the freedom too. He gives us the, by His grace, we have the power to put the next part of the structure in place. And when we fail, He gives us the grace to try again. But we don't just leave it to chance. We don't just hope for the best. We actually put a trellis into place. And the scary thing is that we are achieving, in our lives, we are achieving the exact fruit that our habits are designed to produce. Whether you like it or not. So if I'm struggling with my temper, chances, I mean, yes, there could be a temperament issue, you know, uh, influence there, but chances are I am being, I'm, I am, experiencing the fruit. If I keep losing my temper, I'm experiencing the fruit that my systems, my habits, my practices are perfectly designed to produce. So if I'm living to the max permanently, well, then I need to not be surprised when I'm not gentle, when I'm not kind, when I'm not patient. Is this making sense? I told you it'd be a little bit challenging, but don't worry, we'll end off with a nice song and make you feel better before you go home. F.M. Alexander said, people do not decide their futures. This is such a sobering statement. They do not decide their futures. They decide their habits, and their habits decide their future. They do not decide their futures. They decide their habits, and their habits decide their futures. Again, the Bible makes this abundantly clear in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, where it says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Now, when we talk about this structure, this approach, it's not some legalistic to-do list. It's a life-giving structure. In fact, if you feel like this is life-sapping, we're doing something wrong, we adjust it. I mean, maybe you just need to persevere maybe longer than an hour or a day, but, 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 but if over time you find that this is just adding guilt and shame, then, then we probably need to make some adjustments. It is a life-giving structure for freedom, growth, and joy. One more time, a rule of life, we'll have it up on the screen, is a structure for doing life that helps us to experience the abundant life of God. It is a schedule, practices, and relational rhythms that help us create space in our busy world to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus would do if he with me. And in case you've missed it up until now, maybe you're just joining us. Habits are something we actually do. They're not just something we think about. They're not just something we agree with. They're not just something we study. They're something that we do. We actually put some effort in, which is why we need margin. Because if you have no energy, you're not going to have the energy to put Effort in, because some of the stuff that we're going to need to adjust in our lives, and by the way, I'm jumping the gun, but we're not trying to achieve everything in one go. But even if you're just trying to make one significant adjustment, that's going to take energy. Willpower is like energy, and and it's limited. That's why you can be a lot more disciplined earlier in the day for many of us than what we can later in the day, or later in the week even. Willpower is finite, so we need to put as many things into place to actually form Habits. And by the way, by the way, just in case you're disagreeing with me or thinking this isn't that big a deal, 
you already have a rule of life. Every single one of us. We all have a rule of life. We all have a structure. We all have a way of doing life. Chances are, this weekend looked strangely familiar in principle to last weekend. Or the way you felt on Friday night, chances are you probably felt similar to the way you felt Friday night the week before. Or what you did this morning, I'm accepting for those of you that are maybe joining us for the first time, but chances are you probably did more or less what you did last Sunday morning. And what you're going to do tomorrow morning as you start your week is probably very similar to what you did last Monday morning. That's not a diss. That's our, that's our, that's our reality. That's our lives. We, our brains want to create as much uh, energy efficiency as possible. So roughly, and I forget all the stats, but roughly 50% of what you're going to do today or what you're going to do tomorrow, you don't even think about. It's habits. It's, they're deeply entrenched habits. And that's why only habits can overcome habits. And so we actually need to lay new train. I mean, guys, there's so much, even so, there's science around this, your neural pathways and all the rest. You need, to, you need to lay new tracks over the old tracks and until those new tracks become even more significant so that you don't just keep defaulting. But anyway, you guys know what I'm talking about. So we already have a rule of life. So the challenge is for us to actually recognize it, evaluate it, and be intentional about making adjustments. So for example, we need to prioritize. There are more options available to us than ever before. So we need to actually decide. We need to prioritize what matters most, what is most important. Because every yes has a thousand no's. So whatever you're saying yes to, you need to be okay with what you're saying no to. You can't do it all. We snuff the life out of our lives when we live beyond our limits. We snuff the life out of our lives when we live beyond our limits. So those of you that will ever try and, and bry, bry with, with actual wood, I know it's easier with charcoal sometimes, but if you're actually using wood, you're quite careful how you pack the wood, right? You don't just, you don't just throw it all together as tightly as possible thinking, well, surely the more there is, you know, the more it's going to burn. You actually lay it quite carefully, making sure that there is space, that, there, that there's breathing room for the logs, Right? It's the space between the logs that causes a fire to burn. Now, space doesn't burn. Air doesn't burn. So again, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. We need the logs, but you need the right logs. And in a fire, the goal is not the space. The goal is that we get the right logs to burn. So again, please, for crying out loud, don't misunderstand the heart behind our series on margin. We want to, we want to prioritize the right logs and get those logs to burn bright and that means that we are selective about them and we make sure that they are structured in such a way that there's enough space for oxygen to get in there for it to burn. Some of you might be familiar with this illustration which I think originated with Stephen Covey, uh, the author of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People where he, where he talks about um, if you have a bowl or we've got a picture of two jars where, where if you try and, and just put sort of everything you can think of quickly into the jar, you can see on the right hand side if you put Sorry, on the left-hand side, if you're going to put the sand in first and then like pebbles, rocks, etc., it's actually going to overflow. You're not going to fit everything in. But if you actually put the most important things in first, so if you're going to put the bigger rocks in first, then the smaller pebbles and then the smaller stones and then sand and then water, and you just keep shaking, you're going to be able to actually fit a lot more in. So, so we need to prioritize. We need to prioritize. Make sure that you actually think about what you think about. Think about your 
priorities. And again, some of you will be familiar with this analogy of, of us all juggling many balls. And in some cases, you're juggling more balls than you can cope with. And some of them you can drop and it's okay. Others you can't. Some balls are rubber and they're going to bounce back. Some balls are crystal. I think things like your soul, your most important relationships, don't risk that stuff. Prioritize. If one of those crystal balls drop, it shatters. You can't put it back together again, which is why Jesus said, what good is it to gain the whole world but lose your soul? So let's prioritize what balls. You're going to have to say no to stuff. And it's not always going to be between good and bad. It's sometimes going to be between good and better or great but more important. Let's prioritize. All right. In conclusion, I've got several principles that I want to uh, kind of share with you. Again, if you don't normally go into version onto the Bible app where our notes are, I want to encourage you to check in there, save the notes, because there are a couple of key ideas in there. But, but I want to get practical on how we actually craft a rule of life. And I want to encourage you that there's no one size fits all. There's no, there's no one right way to do this. We have got such different personalities. And we are at different points in our journey, but I would encourage you, regardless of where you are, I would encourage you to strongly consider some non-negotiables, some best practices like daily focused prayer. I do encourage you to seriously consider a weekly Sabbath. Download last week's message if you weren't here. I encourage you to do what you're doing right now. Get into church on a Sunday. Don't flip a coin on a Saturday night and see what, you know, whether or not you feel like it or wake up on a Sunday morning and see what you, I'm saying. That's actually part of your structure. That's part of your rule of life. It's part of your habit. And definitely things like rest, like, like where you're just allowing some of that space, etc. But what I want to emphasize is that depending on your personality, you may, you may want to approach this using a spreadsheet or you may be creative and want to approach this using a canvas. I, I downloaded just a couple of examples online and you can go and Google this and, and you might be surprised at the different creative ways that people actually um, put their rule of life together. So we've got a couple of pictures, guys. If you can just put some of these up. So, so this is someone that's just getting a little bit creative in terms of the main thing at, at the, in the center, putting up stuff into the corners. This is someone else that's also just um, trying, to, trying to get as clear in her mind as possible as to some of the things that she wants to, to have in place. Uh, I think we've got one of a guy that's written, he's on a baseball. Um, I don't know how that worked out, but he's American, I imagine. So, so it, it obviously works for him and it's, and it's obviously summarized enough. So he, for him, it's helpful on his baseball. And I think we've got another one, yep, over here, a couple of symbols. Um, and then one more, which is more of the spreadsheet approach. So if you're super structured, um, Ivan's probably going to have this on a, on a, on a spreadsheet, okay? Uh, when, I, when I first showed Esmeralda this picture several weeks ago, she's like, I just feel, I feel overwhelmed just looking at that, you know? Which shows you the different personalities. I can tell you now that Sue and I would, would approach this radically differently. That's, that's, that's not only okay, that's good. So I'm not trying to force you into, into one approach, into one way of trying to actually... Uh, write this down, but I would say, I would say, be intentional. Don't let your personality be an excuse. Let it be, let it be an explanation as to why you're going about it a certain way. And so, I mean, I'm not going to go into the details of this, but you can see that it's broken up into a couple of key areas under being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, doing what Jesus did. Um, abiding would really just be some, some spiritual disciplines like prayer, reading, etc. 
Um, anyway, and you can see there's some, some of these things will fall into a daily rhythm, a weekly rhythm, a monthly rhythm, a quarterly rhythm, an annual rhythm. Please don't be overwhelmed by that, okay? Don't be, breathe, Esmeralda. It's okay. It's okay. It's going to be okay. God is for you. Um, on you version, we actually have the link that you can literally just click on, and it'll take you to where a little workbook, a little PDF workbook has been designed by a church called uh, Bridgetown Church. Um, it'll take you to their website called practicingtheway.org, practicingtheway.org, and then you can actually download a little workbook that's going to give you more detail about what I'm talking to you about, and, and it'll give you an example of something like this. Anyway, a couple of principles very quickly. Number one, just start small. Start small. It's tempting to overreach. We're not asking you to become a monk or a nun. Just just start where you are, not where you feel you should be. Even even general secular literature will tell you that that that, that if you're going to aim too high, you're going to get discouraged. You're going to give up. Um, you cannot you cannot approach 17 massive changes in your life in one go. You can't. You can't. That's why I think God invites us to follow him, to do it at his pace and to actually trust him that he's patient and that he will, like, let's just, let's just get a handle on what we think God wants us to do next and trust him with what he wants to do six months from now or a year from now or five years from now. If you're 17, please don't worry about being the best 40-year-old version of who you are. No, no. Trust God to help you understand what the best 17-year-old version of you looks like, or 27-year-old version, or 47, or 57, or 60, whatever. Guys, shame and guilt is not how God moves us. He invites us. He will keep pointing stuff out to us, but it's filled with hope. So start small. Number two, be specific. Try and avoid being overly whimsical and philosophical and, and things like, you know, I just want to be more relaxed. Like that doesn't help anybody, okay? How are you planning on being more relaxed? So, so, so you may need to change the way you end your day or how you start your day. Or you may, or, or again, I want to encourage you to, to seriously experiment with Sabbath. Maybe you want to make, maybe you're saying, I'm going to Sabbath on Sundays. That's part of my weekly rhythm to slow down, to refresh, to recoup, okay? So be specific, write it down or draw it, whatever whatever works for you, but make it tangible. Next, consider your personality. If you're introverted, carve out plenty of time to be alone, to be quiet, to read, to walk, to, to do whatever you enjoy doing. Maybe you enjoy going out for a surf or swimming or running, walking, whatever. If, if you need to be replenished alone, don't feel judged by anybody else. Pay attention to your personality. If you're extroverted, you may need to make very sure that you are creating place in your week to spend time with the people that matter to you, that are life-giving. Um, or if you're ambiverted, you know, where you, where you kind of enjoy both, then figure out a way to do both. Y- yesterday I went for a hike for a few hours and then by myself, which I loved. So I love people. But I also love just being alone sometimes and just, 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 just chilling. Then after that, met up with a few friends at Kirstenbosch because it was around that area for a couple hours. And I loved that. Then did stuff in the afternoon with one of my daughters. Loved that. It was an amazing Sabbath yesterday. By the way, anyway, no, okay. Consider your season of life. Consider your season of life. 
and stage of discipleship. You only ever hear about 10% of what I'm thinking when I share with you on Sunday, just so you know. Consider two things, your season of life, Sue's very grateful for that, by the way, your season, nothing wrong, with, anyway, your season of life and your stage of discipleship. So your season of life, again, if you're, if you're a single young adult, you're in a very different season to a young married couple with kids or to a single parent or to, or to a retiree or to, or to empty nesters. You're in a different season of life. Don't compare yourself to someone that's in a different season. You need to pay attention to where you're at. And when I say stage of discipleship, if you're brand new to Christianity, but you're a type A personality and you want to become you know, the Pope by the end of the year, I want to encourage you to slow down. Take it easy. Okay, if you're if you're a, if you are brand new to following Jesus, just start off with spending time with him. And if someone else maybe spends an hour a day, don't don't be overwhelmed by that comparison. You start off with ten or fifteen minutes. Again, these are just examples. But pay attention. By the way, on the, on the other side, if you've been a Christian for twenty years. I don't know, you, again, you may need to evaluate what you do in terms of your time with God differently to how you would compare it to a brand new believer. Is it still, you know, bringing life? Next, keep a healthy balance of upstream and downstream practices. You'll find all of this on that PDF that I mentioned. By upstream, we mean practices that may stretch you. So again, you can only have, you could probably only have one or two, maybe three. But I'd say start with one, upstream habit. So, so a habit that's going to be a challenge, it's going to stretch you, but it's going to move your soul toward growth. So for example, if you're, not, if, you're, if you're not used to any kind of habit of spending time with God, I'm saying just getting up a little bit earlier or creating space in your day just to spend time with, like uninterrupted time with Him, that's already an upstream habit. You, you're, you're trying to buck the system. So, so stick with that. And by downstream habits, I mean... Any practices that you find fun, life-giving, easy, joyful. Two years ago, trying to start with Sabbath on a Saturday was a nightmare for me. Now it is becoming increasingly refreshing and life-giving. And I'm discovering slowly but surely, even at this stage of my life, what I enjoy and what I don't enjoy and what fills me up and what drains me. And then keep a healthy balance of structure and spontaneity. In other words, don't let your, ro- don't let your rule become rigid boring, or a dull obligation. Again, this is meant to bring life. It should feel like freedom, not slavery. And then it's a rule, not a law. It's a rule, not a law. A rule means this is best practice. Um, so, so if Sue and I, for example, want to, want to have a date every week and we've got some time edged out, that's, we believe that that's going to bring life. If one of us, for some reason, can't make it or we're traveling, whatever the case is, there's no guilt or shame. There's no punishment. But if we, if we keep ignoring that, we're going to start feeling like we're drifting apart. We're going to start feeling like we're living apart from each other. We're going to start feeling like I'm missing. I'm missing my wife. I'm missing that time. Right now, we're in a season, and, and I've got to remind myself that I've only got maybe two, two and a half years left of this, of where, of where I'm able to drive one of my daughters to school every morning. It's about a 30 to 45 minute drive. I, I don't do that every morning, but I, but I want to do that at least three, if not four mornings a week, because it's actually become almost like sacred time. Like it's uninterrupted time where we can, she doesn't let me get on my phone. 
I'm not allowed to make phone calls or answer phone calls. I'm not allowed to listen to a good podcast or book or sermon or anything like that, which is very selfish, I thought at first. But no, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. It is, seriously, it has become, it has become like a mini daddy-daughter date, like three, four, anyway, you, you know what I'm saying? So, so, but, but there are weeks, like this week, there were quite a few mornings where I needed to, to, to get into other meetings or work from home. I didn't feel any guilt and shame, but, but if I'm going to do that again this week and the next week, I'm going to start missing, I'm going to start feeling like we're missing each other. Does this make sense? Yes. So it's a rule, not a law. Remember that a good rule is a working document. So I would say, I would say for the first couple of months, put a lot of stuff in pencil. Like just keep experimenting. Maybe, maybe after you feel like you've got some stuff figured out, maybe then try and commit to it for a year. But it's a working document. And lastly, as you've heard me say many times in this series, pursue progress, not perfection. Progress, not perfection. Be patient. Deep character formation does not happen overnight. Deep character formation does not happen overnight. We need to appreciate and trust the slow work of God upon the soul. In most cases, it's going to be a slow work. Slowly, over days, weeks, months, and yes, even years, God is doing a deep Work Throughout this process, God uses our everyday environment. So that job that you want to change so badly, maybe God's trying to use that. Environments of school, of work, of home, of being a parent, of being interrupted by, by small children, and even ESCOM. All of these things are a part. It's, it's God's primary operating theater where he does his surgery. So be patient. The worship team can, can come on up. Be patient. Pursue progress, not perfection. As I conclude, and just before I pray with you, I've been so challenged by this particular portion of Scripture recently. I was, I was actually reading in 2 Timothy chapter 2 where it talks about you know, being a soldier and an athlete and a, and a farmer. And then, it, and then there's like a little thing in my Bible that directed me to this passage in 1 Corinthians 9 as well, where it also talks about, about being disciplined like an athlete. We won't have it up on the screen, but, but Paul the Apostle is writing... In 1 Corinthians 9 verse 25, and he says, all athletes are disciplined in their training. I mean, he's, he's, ta- he's talking to Christians. He's talking to believers. He's saying, guys, we need to be disciplined in our training. They do it to win a prize that'll fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. And by the way, eternal prize isn't about ego. Eternal prize is people, everybody. If you, you cannot love God and not love people. So I would actually argue that to not live with appropriate margin, to not take your habit seriously is actually very selfish. We're actually then just living for ourselves. I'm, I'm surviving, so that's okay. What if God's saying, I want you to flourish, not survive. I want you to flourish so that you can overflow, so that you can bear fruit, so that you can make a difference in people's lives where you can be salt and light and life-giving wherever you go. Like where you, wherever you go, you can't help it. You shine a light. Isn't it, is it possible that that's how God wants us to live? So I run with purpose in every step. It's not accidental. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear. This is Paul the Apostle writing. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. 
I want to encourage you this morning. I've tried to be as, as positive and encouraging and inspiring and, and, trying to, and trying to explain the philosophy, the why behind the what throughout this series. I'm calling you to make a decision today. Are you going to take your life with God seriously? Are you going to take health seriously? Of your soul, your body, your mind, your emotions, your relationships. Do you want to live a life of purpose? Because it's not going to happen by accident. God is gracious. This isn't, this isn't even a heaven and hell question. This isn't a salvation question. You'll, God still loves you. You'll still get to heaven. But I'm telling you, you're going to look back and wish. Like if only I knew, if only I knew how much potential there was, what God could do through a life that is deliberate and surrendered to Him. So there, there are two very simple challenges. The one is to those of you that are maybe exploring Christianity, my encouragement to you is to go all in. You're not going to know until you go all in. You won't know what He's like until you actually start daring to follow Him before you're convinced that He is even Him. Until you're convinced that you believe the Bible, until you're convinced that, that, he's, that he's answering all your questions, you start following in order to actually grow in that confidence. So my encouragement to you today is to say yes to Jesus. And then secondly, if you want to, be, if you, if you want to get serious about your journey with God, where you don't want to keep living year in and year out and feeling like this is Groundhog Day, this is deja vu, like I've been here before 17 times then I'm saying stop hoping, start habiting. Like start putting habits into place. Even if you're not a structured person, then put little structure into place. Agreed?